0: Well, it is a great pleasure to be with you today. And I think it's interesting that this topic of how do we live a generous life has fallen on AGM Sunday when we celebrate how many amazing things God has done through the church in the last 12 months. If you haven't read the Vestry Summary Annual Report, please can I encourage you to do it because our church is full of generous people who give their time, their talents, and their money for all the things that God has called us to do in this community. And I have to say I was a little relieved when our newest vestry members, our hopefully newest vestry members, didn't announce that they felt most excited that God thought that we were gonna start some enormous, hugely expensive ministry on the other side of the world. That may yet be coming, but it's not something that they've told me yet. Now, I did wonder if I should follow Ollie's lead and start with a joke, but I am a terrible joke teller, everyone in my family just groans, so I thought instead I would start with a story. In early 2005, uh, I was part of an alpha follow-on course here at St. Mungo's that was run by the fantastic Pat Banfill and equally wonderful Jim Anderson. And we looked each week at a different topic, uh, and one of the topics we looked at was the topic of prayer. And we not only learned about why and how to pray, but we also practiced praying week by week. And the first week, Pat invited us to share something that we would like the group to pray about. And I shared uh, that we were struggling to start a family. We'd been having fertility treatment for over a year, and the cycles of hope and disappointment were something I was finding really tough. The following week, Pat gave us an opportunity to listen in prayer to what God might be saying to us and to share that with the group. And one of the ladies shared a picture, she said, was of me holding a baby and cradling it in my arms. I'm sure at that point, I burst into tears. I did quite a lot of crying at that point. Um, But there was just this moment of awe. And then we remembered that the one person who shared the picture hadn't been there the week before. She had no idea about whether I was married or had kids. She certainly didn't know that that was the prayer that was most often echoed in my heart. And it was just an example of God's generosity to me in that season. And how generosity sometimes works through prayer, through sharing our stories, through the obedience of that lady who listened so well to God and trusted that what she had seen, even though she didn't know the significance, was for me. And it was just such an encouragement to all of us as we saw God present and active in our group. And I'm delighted to say that our son Ruri was born at the end of that year. So it was indeed a true picture from God. It gave me hope and there was so much significance because I knew I hadn't just made it up myself as I might have been prone to do. So we're talking today about what it means to live a life of generosity. And there's definitely a risk that this could become yet more things that we feel we need to be doing as Christians. So let me start by turning this on its head. Generosity isn't primarily a list of things that we do, like baubles we might hang on a tree. Generosity is something that we are. Because God is abundantly generous, he's created us to reflect that generosity. And when his spirit lives within us, then he becomes the source of a generosity within us that we can show in the world and to him. Ollie started this series a couple of weeks ago by talking about the indescribable generosity of God. So meaning how many words you need to describe something that's indescribable. It's an expression of his abundance, his goodness, and his love, demonstrated in so many ways in creation, one of my very favorites. In the blessings of homes, jobs, friendship, laughter, he showers blessings on us day after day, whether we ask for them or not, whether we appreciate them or not, whether we thank him or not. Such is the lavish generosity of God. And the pinnacle of God's generosity is Jesus, who chose to give up the glories of heaven in to show us what a life lived fully in love looks, sounds, and feels like. And Jesus offered his own life to open wide the gates of heaven. And we now have the opportunity through God's Holy Spirit to live a life equally marked by that love and the power of God. And how can we respond to this? Well, Ollie suggested three ways in thanking him, praising him, and trusting him. God invites us into that community of love that starts with God and stretches out to include anybody and everybody who wants to be part of it, receiving, enjoying, passing on love generously, continuously, and forever. One of the expressions of God's love is that He made us in His image, with characters that reflect His character. And I think that's why everyone, whether they are of a Christian faith or another faith, or no faith, has an appreciation for generosity and an ability to be generous. However, I'm sure I'm not the only person to acknowledge that I'm not always as generous as I could be, not even as generous as I want to be. In Dave's talk last week, he spoke about the inward curve of our hearts, that tendency that all of us have to hold something back, to take a little bit more than is our fair share. Despite this, there are so many examples of generosity in our world. And what God offers us is his supernatural generosity and uh, that's motivated by God's love for us and powered by the outworking of his spirit within us. With God, we can offer a generosity that comes not from our own resources, But from God's. And I realize this is a bit of an uh, artificial distinction because even what we think of ours to offer has come originally from God. So as we think this morning about what it means to live this new and supernaturally generous life, we're going to think about why, we're going to think about how, we're going to think about what are some of the things that hold us back and what are some of these unique aspects of supernatural generosity. So, let's start with a definition of generosity. It's the free offering of our own resources in order to meet the needs of another, without expecting something in return. So, there are three elements. It needs someone with something to offer, it needs somebody who needs that thing, and it needs a heart of compassion. Of course, that definition is so wide that the opportunities to be generous are enormous. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about preparing for this talk this morning is seeing the world through the lens of generosity. Suddenly I've started to hear stories of generosity on the radio, in films. Even when I read familiar Bible stories, I start to see the threads of generosity that I hadn't seen before. If you read the story of Joseph, it's really amazing to see the generosity of God. So why should we live generous lives? Well, throughout the Bible, we read about God's generosity, and we're encouraged to be the same. This includes uh, being a channel of God's love to the world around us. And there are lots of verses that I could point to this morning. Uh, One that is the most clear, and therefore the most challenging, comes from 1 John chapter 3. Only an apostle could get away with saying this, so let's use his words. John exhorts us in these verses to share our material possessions with any Christian in need, out of compassion and because the love of God is within us. Being reminded that God's love is a self-sacrificial love and therefore ours should be too. And love isn't something we only talk about, it needs to be demonstrated in our actions. Perhaps we could rewrite these verses as a positive statement along the lines of remembering that Christ Jesus laid his life down for us and being motivated by that same love dwelling within us. We willingly share our possessions with our church family because we love them. We enjoy showing love not only through our words but also in practical ways there are other verses and the words of Jesus himself, we know that that compassionate action shouldn't be restricted to our Christian brothers and sisters, nor even to our friends and people we like, but also to those we don't yet know or even people we don't like. Seeking to respond with loving kindness to those who seek to harm us and where our natural response might be to turn our backs is an example of supernatural generosity. One of the earliest acts of generosity that I remember in my life was when I was six. We were returning to the UK, having lived in Australia for two years, and we stopped to visit my aunt who lived as a missionary in Swaziland. Now, Iswatini. I don't remember much about our visit. I don't remember much about being six. But I do remember a visit to a national park where we saw lions and giraffes and zebra for the first time. Very exciting at any age, especially when you're six. And I remember a visit to a friend of my aunt who lived in a small village. I remember the dusty ground, the huts built of mud, the wrinkled, dark-skinned faces of people living a hard life in a hot and arid land, but also the hands reaching out to touch us, the faces smiling in welcome, and love even when we had no words in common. And as we left, and before we realized what was happening, a chicken being grabbed from the family flock, its neck swiftly wrung, and been offered to a shocked and embarrassed my dad. A gift of enormous value, given for us to enjoy. I was speaking to my aunt a couple of days ago, just to make sure I hadn't, in fact, just made all of this up, and she said, Isn't it amazing how these incredible acts of generosity come from those who have so little? So now we've considered why we should live a generous life. Let's look at how. When I was doing the research for this talk, I came across a charity in the States whose mission statement is to inspire the world to live generously by sharing stories of generosity. Such a simple and yet powerful way of sharing generosity. They say generosity is for everyone, every day, and their website describes seven ways of living generously. Through our thoughts, our words, our time, our attention, our belongings, our influence, and our money. Some of these feel perhaps obvious. We know it's generous to give our time and our money, but perhaps we hadn't considered that our influence is something we could also use generously. Maybe we haven't considered that asking for help and giving others the opportunity to meet our needs can itself be an act of generosity. Similarly, whilst we often think that listening is generous, we might not have considered that sharing our own story and vulnerabilities can be an equally generous gift. Because when we talk openly and honestly, we open the door for others to do the same. There are, of course, appropriate times and ways to do this, uh, not just splurging it out at every opportunity. It's an unusual gift, generosity, because it blesses the receiver and the giver and anybody else who hears about that story as well. These stories of generosity inspire and encourage, they give hope, and they provoke other acts of generosity. And of course, this is exactly how God designed it. His enormous generosity is an expression of who he is and a template for us. I love a good film. I recently managed to catch COVID after three years of avoiding it. It was an excellent opportunity to catch up on some films. And I don't think I'm boasting to say that I think I am a director's absolutely dream viewer. I go through every emotional roller coaster, I scream at all the scary bits, I sob in all the sad bits. I had to be taken out of Lassie when I was five because I was wailing so loud. One of my favourites, I'm still an embarrassment to go to the cinema with which, with, so my, my family are like, check out the film first, make sure it's safe. There's a fantastic film I watched recently called 13 Lives. I think this might be the only number I have in my talk today and no graphs. I do apologise. <laughs> it's the true story of the rescue of the Thai teenage football team who you might remember from the news in 2018. The film focuses on two British cave rescue divers, Rick Stanton and John Valanthan, who travel to Thailand to join in the rescue attempt. Because of their extensive cave and rescue diving experience in the UK, they were the divers who were first able to reach the boys and their coach who were trapped. They were still alive after nine days without food in that cave. Reaching them, they were four kilometers from the entrance through a network of um, channels that were filled with stalagmites, stalactites, and fast-flowing, silt-filled water. Even watching the film looked horrendous. They assembled a small team of experts and, despite almost insurmountable odds, successfully rescued all 12 boys and the coach. It's a fantastic story and well worth watching the film, but in terms of generosity, it's a fantastic example of how these divers saw the need, responded swiftly, and offered their expertise and their time, accepting a very real risk to their own lives as they did so. To my knowledge, none of the rescue divers were Christians, and yet they acted with commendable generosity. So, what is it that sometimes holds us back? Well, in addition to the inward curve of our hearts that Dave spoke about last week, I think there are also a few practical barriers that hold us back. And I'd like us to consider three, time, attention, and trust. Not quite three Ts, I am still learning, but close. First of all, time. At university, I studied psychology, and I love a good experiment that reveals something about how we think and behave. And there's an excellent experiment that shows this correlation between time pressure and a willingness to help. It was conducted 50 years ago and included a group of students who were training for ordination. They were asked to prepare a talk on the topic of the Good Samaritan, and then they were asked to travel across the campus to another building to give their talk where it would be assessed as part of their course. And as part of those instructions, they had three different elements of time pressure. One of parts of the, One third of the group said, you're already late, quickly get there. Another part of that group said, you've got a few minutes to get there, but don't delay. And some of them said, they're not quite ready for you, but leave now, and then you'll be there when they are. And as they crossed the campus, they passed an alleyway with an actor pretending to be a homeless person in distress, scruffy, slumped over, and coughing. And the high hurry group, despite being about to give a talk on the Good Samaritan, only 10% of them stopped to be a Good Samaritan. That increased to over 60% in the group that felt they had less time pressure. They did a similar experiment with a group who were giving a talk not on the Good Samaritan, but on vocational opportunities, and that had almost exactly the same results. So they concluded, the researchers, that thinking about the Good Samaritan did nothing to help the students stop and be helpful. But being in a hurry certainly decreased it. I think many of us live with that sense of hurry most of the time. I certainly know that I do. I often feel as if I'm rushing through my to-do list at work, rushing home to cook dinner for the kids or eat the dinner that they have cooked. I catch myself reading an email while I'm speaking to somebody else on the phone. Wendy once caught me fiddling with a Rubik's Cube when we were on a Zoom call. (laughs) Or, if I'm meeting a friend for coffee, I'm surreptitiously keeping an eye on the time under the table. All of these things can prevent or certainly impair my ability to be generous by cutting a conversation short, not giving someone my full attention, or putting off inviting a friend for dinner. Now, of course, sometimes we need to cut conversations short, and sometimes it's not the right moment to invite a friend for dinner. So it's not about the the rules about any of this, it's about my heart. To counteract this tendency, I try when I stop long enough to remember to start each day by opening my hands and saying to God, I offer you this day. I know that you have all the hours that are in it, that you have an ability to help me work more or less efficiently, to to prioritize my to-do list in a wise or less wise way. And then it helps me to be open to what comes into my life and I'm more likely to be able to stop when somebody contacts me, uh, either for a chat or just having the time to speak to somebody and give them a smile. That might mean remembering to pray for someone or sending someone a text or moving my workday around so I can meet them for a walk or drop off a book on my way to the office. Now, I appreciate that in this season of my life, I have more flexibility than I've had in others. So we each need to find what works for us in the season of life we find ourselves in. But I'm trying to seek that, cultivate that attitude that's more relaxed and more outward focusing. I'm also aware, in case it wasn't apparent, that I'm an extrovert and God has created me in a particular way. You might be thinking a very particular way. Which will be different to how God has created you. So, generosity in my life often looks like time with people, but for you, it might be completely different. It could be writing, knitting, singing, running, volunteering, praying, preparing meals, baking a cake. There are so many ways that we can be generous. Secondly, our attention. There's another classic experiment, which you may have come across, called the Invisible Gorilla Experiment. The clue is in the name. A group of people watch a short film in which there are six people playing basketball. Three have white t-shirts and three have black t-shirts. And you're asked, as you watch the video, to see how many times the people with the white t-shirts pass the ball successfully between them. What you're not told to look for is the guy dressed in a gorilla suit who walks into the middle, beats his chest, and then walks off. And at the end, half the people have not noticed the gorilla. I remember watching that when I was at university. No clue about the gorilla, not at all. I thought they were all joking until I watched it again. And I do wonder how often we miss the clues I wonder how often I walk past the person in distress because I'm too busy thinking about what's in my head, too busy looking at what's on my phone. Now, I'm not saying that we need to respond to every need around us. When we look at the life of Jesus, we saw that he also took time to be on his own with God. He didn't always respond to the crowd's pleas for his attention, and he took time one-to-one with the disciples so that he could have those more intimate conversations. But it's about having that openness of mind that I'm not so preoccupied that I miss what's in front of me. Thirdly, trust. (laughs) It's funny that that was the word that Ollie had earlier. In the Bible, God promises to meet all of our needs. Again, there are so many verses that say this, I sometimes wonder why I'm so slow to learn. For example, in Proverbs chapter 28, it says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those that close their eyes to them receive many curses. It's interesting that what comes first is the giving to the poor and what comes afterwards is meeting all of our needs. He doesn't promise to give us everything we want, but he does promise to give us everything we need and he asks us to trust him, being willing to go beyond what we think is possible so that God can meet us on the other side. When we really trust him, of course, the blessing comes to us because we realize that we can be released from some of the fears that hold us back. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about the same measure that we use with others being the measure that God uses with us. If we hold back, then it seems as if God also holds back, not because he's punishing us or because he doesn't love us enough to be more generous than we are. He's always more generous than we are, but because he loves us and wants us to learn to walk in the freedom of truly trusting him and then demonstrating that trusting love to the world around us. So generosity is an opportunity for us to learn to grow in trusting God. I wonder if it's not that we trust and then are generous, but perhaps we're generous and then we trust. Maybe you find it easier to give money than to offer your time, or time than share your home. I'd like to end with a few thoughts on what distinguishes supernatural generosity from natural generosity because it often looks the same. Jesus, when he watched the collection being taken in the synagogue, noticed that the person that put in the least was the most generous. Okay, so firstly, supernatural generosity is motivated by our love for God. Secondly, it goes beyond what seems possible and sometimes what seems wise as we follow God's leading and trust in his provision. Thirdly, we can offer spiritual blessings, like forgiveness, like his words of knowledge and wisdom, and prayers for healing and for peace. When we have God's spirit within us, then we can offer what God offers as well as what we have. And last but not least, supernatural generosity provides another opportunity for people to respond directly to God. I love the verse in Matthew chapter 5 that says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't do good deeds to show off or for our own glory, or at least we try not to. I'm certainly sure that my deeds as often reveal my inadequacies and fears than they do my love for God. But just occasionally, with God's help, I might get it right. And then my greatest prayer is that my friends will interpret my love and care for them as just a small example of God's extravagant love for them. And for me, this is what's at the very heart of what it means to live a generous life. I want to live a generous life because I want more people to come and know and experience God's love for themselves. Maybe as the band come back up onto the stage, we could just have a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your extravagant love for us. And we thank you that you give us an opportunity to respond in generosity to you and to the world around us. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to the areas of our own life when we're either distracted or inattentive to the opportunities that you're giving us to show your love. And I pray that this week we will see the enormous generosity that you have created in the world And in response to that, we will find new ways of living a generous life for you.